it's always an absolute privilege to speak to the entire community and all the more so at a time like this at the beginning of term a strange term and um, and I would say end on these passages but I have to say uh, I wasn't Im immediately grateful for <laughs> this particular passage that uh, that Stuart gave to me even though I asked if he would give me a passage um, and so I felt obliged to rather than switch it out to live with it uh, for as long as I could and um, and so I lived and wrestled and uh, what you will hear from me today is the the outcome of that to date so I will continue processing it, no doubt. And uh, I'm preaching in Kenfield on Sunday, and they may get a fuller developed version as I continue to wrestle with this text. But why is this such a complicated text? Well, for all kinds of reasons. But let's, let's read it first. Reading from Mark chapter 13, verses 28 to 31. And this comes in the middle of um, the, the disciples having asked Jesus, when do they know, what, when will they know that the end is coming? And Jesus talks to them about persecution, the desolating sacrilege, and then these signs of the coming of the Son of Man, all of which seems really very confusing. And then in the middle of it comes these verses. From the fig tree, learn its lessons. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What are these verses doing here in the middle of this passage? Well, we'll look at that a little bit as we go. And, and actually, all of my background work isn't going to show. but you know, if you if you look closely enough, maybe you'll see uh, some of it there. But I really wanted to start uh, with a, a question for you. Have you ever had your leaves read? And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, of course, if you've ever drank tea made out of leaves rather than all stuffed into a tea bag, um, then there are some people who will look at the, the leaves scattered in the bottom of the cup and like some kind of divination, you know, they'll say, let me read your leaves and they'll look at the leaves and then they'll attempt to tell you things about your life based on where the leaves sit. Now, I have to say this is not a frequent occurrence for me. It happened to me once when I was um, on a pastoral visit and, uh, and had finished my drink of tea and then it became this big fun thing that the person we were visiting wanted to read the leaves and I wasn't really that keen, but uh, I'm not afraid of that either. And if they thought that was interesting, then that's fine. But I didn't take really any stock in what they told me. And it was nothing dramatic that they told me. It was something so innocuous, I really can't even remember. And it was supposed to be positive, whatever it was. But, you know, I, I walked away from that place and never really thought about it much since. I didn't really take any stock in what they thought the leaves were saying. And I'm sure, I hope, that it's the same for you. Whatever is sitting in the bottom of my mug after I've had a drink of tea really can't tell me anything about my life. Surely it can't tell me anything about my life any more than somebody reading the lines on my palms. And so, um, you know, I could say to you, so what are your leaves saying at the moment? Why are you here at ADC? Where are you going? And are the signs like the leaves in the bottom of a cup? The best way to read what God has in store for you and the best way to figure out what God has in store for us as a community this year. Well, reading the signs is uh, another issue altogether because there are not only leaves to read, there are signs that we can read. 
And some of the signs are predictable and reliable. Uh, for example, there's the, the saying, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky at morning, sailors take warning. If you live in a different part of the world, they might say shepherds rather than sailors. But it's a very old idea, the idea that when the sky looks a certain way, then you know something else is going to happen. But there are other signs from nature that are very unpredictable. For example, I remember uh, one time in February, I saw a bunch of robins and I was really excited because I thought, oh, we're gonna have an early spring, the robins are here. Robins, of course, being well-known sign of spring, right? Until I asked around and found out, oh, there are winter robins. I never knew there were winter robins. And so seeing a robin is not therefore a reliable sign that spring is on its way. Some signs are unpredictable. When we come to Mark, the fig leaves, fig leaves in particular, are a very unpredictable sign, a very unreliable sign. In the first instance of a fig tree in Mark, Jesus curses the fig tree because he's hungry and wants a fig to eat. Now figs, if you've ever had them, are one of nature's marvelous foods. Um, and my favorite experience of figs happened in Croatia. I used to go on vacation there with some friends um, uh, who were from Croatia. And the best thing after a three hour swim, talking theology and Bible and sorting out the world was coming up the hill and picking fresh figs and eating them all afternoon. Uh, nothing like a fig. Jesus was hungry and he wanted a fig and he curses the tree because he wants to eat a fig. But although there are leaves on the tree, there's no fig. He curses the tree, the tree withers, even though it's not the season for figs. That seems mean. The appearance of fig leaves then are established in that passage early in Mark as a very unpredictable sign of fruitfulness, of predicting what comes next or of predicting anything really, other than the fact that Jesus expects faithfulness in season and out of season. 2 Timothy 4.2, we're reminded, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. So when we get to this passage that I just read for us, this fig tree in the middle of this eschatological segment of text, and if you're in first year, you might not yet know that eschatological refers to end things that really began at the time of Jesus, but, but where things are going. In the middle of this eschatological apocalyptic section of text, why should these, we, we, well, how should we read these leaves? Will they be predictable or unpredictable? Are they a reliable indicator of what is to come or not? So we see here the, the disciples asking Jesus about what they should expect. And what does he say? He tells them that kingdoms will rise against kingdoms, nations against nations. And there are then these, but these, this is not the end. There will be earthquakes and famines, but this is only the beginning of the birth pangs. And then there'll be persecutions against them. And then the temple itself will fall into desecration. And then the coming of the son of man, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven. The powers in the heavens will be shaken and so on. So when we get to the fig tree, he says, learn its lesson. Its branches become tender. It puts forth, forth its leaves. You know, summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. How reliable are the leaves? in terms of predicting what's going to happen, what we can expect. 
The idea here is that from the fig tree, we learn the lesson that as soon as a branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all of these apocalyptic things taking place, you know that it or he is near at the very gates. The interpretation then often goes, so look around you. What do you see happening? When you see terrible things happening, you know Jesus is on his way back. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Simple. No? No. <laughs> if the fig leaf has already been established by Mark as an unreliable indicator of anything, could it be that Mark is challenging the disciples' ability to really know anything about the timing of Jesus' return? He quickly gives instead an assurance. He says, this generation will not pass away until these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Anyone who's taken a course in eschatology will know uh, that over the history of theology, some such as Schweitzer and others have used this as evidence that Jesus was confused, that he thought that the fulfillment of the kingdom would happen in his lifetime, and he died very disappointed. As the text says, this generation will not pass away until these things have taken place. And certainly some of these things took place in the disciples' lifetime, but not all of them. And like most apocalyptic literature, there's a sense of time being past, present, and not yet. So the words translated as this generation arguably refers not only to the disciples and their time, but to all faithful Christians over the centuries who persist in the word of God. So just as the disciples perhaps were being encouraged not to trust the reading of the leaves, so are we not to trust our reading of the signs? Jesus, after all, in Matthew, says to the Pharisees and Sadducees, when they come asking him to show a sign from heaven, and he says, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the, uh, the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And then Jesus left them and went away. Perhaps we could say then that we shouldn't trust our reading of fig leaves any more than we trust the reading of tea leaves. Instead of watching the leaves and calculating outcomes, we are exhorted to settle on the security and the surety of the word. This seems to be Jesus' message to the disciples. The entire created order will never die. Heaven and earth will not pass away. The word of God stands forever. Jesus' message endures. Indeed, his cross-shaped life confronts the signs of doom and darkness with the light and power of resurrection. Our job, then, is not to read the signs of the end, we can read the signs around us in terms of understanding what season it is, what the culture looks like now, how we are shaped in the midst of it, and how we bring the gospel to bear on that. But our call is to persist in the ministry he's given us to, the mission that he's given to us, regardless of what the signs look like. Because what we read as conditions that would be right for fruitfulness may not always be fruitful after all. Everyone thought, for example, that the Western Church of the 50s was thriving, but we realize now in hindsight that for all the froth 
the fruit may have been much smaller. And we may look now at the conditions for the church and read the leaves and think that it's not a good time for fruit. But God's agenda is hard at work. There is fruit being born all around us and around the world. Perhaps Jesus' message to the disciples is Jesus' message to us. Our job is not to read the leaves, but to be at work. Previously, I've spoken and preached about how it feels to live and to lead in these strange times, and they are strange for us. I think it was the last sermon of the term last year. Um, it's just a few months ago. It seems like ages ago, doesn't it? When I talked about what it's like to lead now, how we seem to be in this fog in the mountains, and all we can see are our own two feet when the mist comes down. And maybe it is that we had become too reliant on reading the signs based on what we could see around us and deciding what to do and how to respond accordingly based on our own best intelligence. Maybe in this moment, we have the opportunity to let go of the reading of the signs, let go of the reading of the signs and instead be renewed in our reading of the word that describes an alternate way of being, a way of living with a savior to follow. This seems to be, I think, a fair reading of the text, since immediately after the passage we read, Jesus says, no one knows when Jesus will come. No one knows. About the day or the hour, no one knows. So, get lazy, fall asleep, keep alert. Keep alert. You don't know when the time will come for Christ's return. It could be in the middle of the night or in the heat of noonday. It could be when we think it's a good time for him to come or not. Don't fall asleep. Keep awake. Keep watching. I think this is the heart of the teaching in this passage. The best you can get from the leaves is, you know, something is coming. But we know better that someone is coming. You can't know what the day or the time will be, what it will look like. You can't know when. And so we don't look to unreliable signs, but to the word that is lasting and will never pass away because we don't know what is coming, but we certainly know who is coming. We can watch. And this passage is a call to, disi to disciples to be watchful. And watchfulness is not a discipline we often talk about. And yet it is very difficult and very challenging. It's hard. And maybe that's why Jesus talked about it so very often. And with such stark imagery, you know the images of women with lamps lit, uh, servants waiting for their master's return. Watchfulness is hard because you're not exactly sure what you're watching for. You're not sure how clear the signs will be. And we get distracted then looking for the signs rather than for the master himself to return. Hal Lindsay got a whole generation focused on looking for signs in rock bands and in military helicopters and in the European Union, anything he could come up with from his day that seemed to match his idea of what were signs of the end. And the reality is that the Christians have been looking for these signs and seeing them in every generation since Christ. That shouldn't surprise us because we're watchful. But it's so easy to get distracted from the one we are watching for and start looking to the signs themselves. 
in our own day, pandemic, wildfires, floods, death, surely these are signs. They are and so have they been since the disciples started waiting, since they started being persecuted, since they saw the temple crumble and all that they had hoped for fall apart before being remade in the mission of the kingdom. All these things are signs that remind us of Jesus' words to persevere. In the heat of whatever else we face, the balm is his presence and the assurance of his ultimate victory. And so we find the model for our watchfulness in the cross. The cross that calls us to follow, to pick up our own cross, to die to ourselves and our own agendas, our own sense of control, and our own trust of how we read the signs. And here is a trustworthy sign, as the Apostle John describes it. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. We're not watching for something we don't know that will trick us. We are waiting for our resurrected Savior, our Master's return. We know him. We recognize him. We keep the house ready for his return. Now, some of you will remember that Stuart asked me on Monday for the opening devotional to speak about the parable of the strong man tied up, um, at, that he came to tie up and to plunder his house. And we're to keep that house that he plundered ready for his return. That's where this passage goes in the verses that follow the section that I read. The house is maintained by the servants for their master's return. Fighting the devil, reading the signs, that's not our main focus. Our main focus is to keep the house, to hold to the words of Jesus, to stand firm no matter what it is that we see, to look past the fray of the moment to the horizon. And yet keeping the house is not a passive activity. Keeping active watch is very hard. Remember the disciples in Gethsemane, how they fell asleep when Jesus said, just watch with me for a little while. It's so easy to get distracted. And we've never had such a distracted generation. This is us with our phones and our computers. This is us with the chaos of the world that distracts us, with our own traumas that occur to us, that with all of these things that can distract us from that watchfulness. Sometimes it can become a moral laziness, a spiritual complacency, so much that we don't even notice uh, what we're doing from day to day. And this is... Um, and I'll, I'll finish in just a moment, but here's where I wanted to show you this picture. Um, if I can find it here, here it is. So the other day, this is how easily it is, it is, is to be distracted in this life. It was, it's a little bit darker in the mornings and I was getting dressed without turning the light on and, um, and I got ready and left the house. I went through my day here at college um, and then I, at the end of the day, I had a meeting at my son's school with a number of teachers in the room and uh, was there and came out and it was about five o'clock by then. And as I was about to get in the car, I looked down and this is what I was wearing. Can you see that? Wait a minute. There. Yep, I had two very different shoes on all day never noticed. It wasn't even that they were both black and I kind of made an easy mistake. One was red and one was blue and purple. 
they, and as soon as I uh, pointed them out, my son just started saying, dee, 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 that's pretty much what it looked like. It's so easy when we are distracted and not looking for what we're supposed to be looking for to just fall into um, confusion and into chaos. And yet, and yet, we are called to be watchful. What is the point? Well, because we don't know when he's coming, the point is that he is coming. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting eager for the coming of the kingdom in its fullness. Not only Christians long for this, the culture is longing for this. We see it in songs that are sung. We see it in art that is painted. Um, Taylor Swift's epiphany songs, things about this time of pandemic and how people have lost so much. And the chorus says, uh, only 20 minutes to sleep, but you dream of some epiphany, just a single glimpse of relief to make sense of what you've seen. People want to make sense of what they see. They're watching for something, but they don't know what. And we do know who. We need more Jesus. And until he comes, he's tasked us to carry this word to every generation. We watch and we wait for him, but we are not alone. He was and is and is to come and into this year with you whatever the lord holds for you you can watch for him and be assured that he is with you even so come lord jesus